Hello, and welcome to The Conversation. I'm Heil Russell. And I'm Cameron Regal. And welcome to the premiere installment of our series of Spotlight episodes on Star Fox Adventures, which, of course, has just celebrated its 20th anniversary the previous week. And we got the buyout episode out of the way so we could focus for a few weeks, minus some uh, mini episodes that may interject throughout the run of these episodes, so so we could just focus on Star Fox Adventures without having the shroud of the 20th anniversary of the rare buyout also in the way. So yeah, we're we're gonna have enough hanging over this game as it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so really quick, uh, two things. One, we are not going to go too in depth about Dinosaur Planet itself, as in everything that existed in the game before it became Star Fox Adventures. If you want to hear us talk about that, you have many options throughout the history of the conversation, but I will specifically point you to last season. Cameron and I did an episode at the beginning of Season 9 talking about the elite Dinosaur Planet ROM, and then later that season, Steve McCorkle from off of Rare Gamer came to the show, and he and I discussed even more context from that leak. So we we get into the the stuff of Dinosaur Planet that didn't really make it into Star Fox Adventures. And we will be discussing Dinosaur Planet specifically on this first part of the spotlight. There might be some redundancies with our old episodes, but it's kind of unavoidable talking about yeah. the context of this game. Yeah, we've never done a spotlight on Star Fox Adventures, and I always thought, well, we'll wait till the 20th anniversary. And, you know, that that seemed like a, a pretty wide gulf in the early days of the conversation. Because, you know, in the early days of the conversation, we were approaching the 20th anniversary of Donkey Kong Country. And, and Star Fox Adventures is sort of on the other side of the timeline of the days of Rare and Nintendo working together. The original DKU 25, the first 25 games in what DK Vine considers the Rare shared universe. So we're finally here, the, the, the last 20th anniversary of the original 25 games. So this is long overdue, though, because Star Fox Adventures is a game that... We both love Cameron. Cameron and I. I think, you know, I I wouldn't dare say that we adore it the most out of everyone on the current DK Vine staff. But I feel like it comes up with the two of us more often than it does others. Yeah, I have a lot of fondness for Star Fox Adventures, and particularly, I have a lot of fondness for it as a Star Fox game, which yeah. I know is um pretty unusual. Yeah, th there is this kind of dividing line in the Rare fandom of we well, can like Star Fox Adventures or you can mourn what Dinosaur Planet could have been. And I don't think you and I are in that boat. We are very much, well, we love Star Fox Adventures as is, and we wouldn't really want to explore that alternate timeline. Like we were talking about on the last episode, sometimes you just have to take your losses and celebrate the good you got in the universe you're in rather than dwelling on things too much. And then you suddenly find yourself in an even worse scenario. So I, I'm thankful we got Star Fox Adventures and it did give us a lot of good stuff 
even if Star Fox in general is kind of in a weird place right now. And it's in a really weird place if you are a fan of everything Rare added to Star Fox, which is kind of in this sort of closed-off trilogy of games that we call the Dinosaur Planet Trilogy. But it's... And and occasionally Smash Brothers. Smash Brothers and, and, and you know, and a reference here or there. But as far as characters and continuity and just the... Building narrative and and character journey, it's it's kind of just this closed off three games, and now we're just stuck in this endless nebulous cycle of reboots or retellings of the same stories. Right, right now I'm kind of worried we're not in a cycle of anything with Star Fox. Yeah, so, um, <laughs> we, we keep, that's we a keep, bit more concerning. We keep telling people to buck up and believe in the positive rumors for donkey kong we can't do that for star fox we don't have anything to go off of that (laughs) no but we do have our memories and i'm going to cherish those at the very least so number two we are going to be taking calls for the spotlight series but because of the way star fox adventures is structured which There's a lot of backtracking. It is a little confusing at times to really break up the game in any cohesive structure. Like, yeah, we we can't really do like Thorn Tail Hollow. Yeah, or Dark Ice Mines. We gotta kind of keep going back and forth. We can't really say give us your calls on worlds one through four. You can break it up, I guess, by force point temples and, and how many times you visit them. But we're going to be taking all of the calls for this spotlight series for your thoughts on Star Fox Adventures in the concluding chapter. So feel free to call the DK Vine hotline at one 630 vine that is 8463 on a touchtone phone. Feel free to call in. Touchtone phone. What am I, grandpa? Anyway, uh, that's what they said. That's what they say. That's what they said back in the day. If on a touchtone phone, as opposed to a rotary phone, you know. But anyway, call in to the DK Vine hotline. Give us your thoughts. We've already gotten a few calls. I'm not going to play them on this episode, but rest assured, we will play them at the end. So go ahead. Feel free at any point before the last episode is recorded. All right, Cameron. Well, Star Fox Adventures. Now, before we go talk about Star Fox Adventures and talk about Krizoa Palace and Thorntail Hollow and and Ice Mountain, Icicle Mountain? Is it I what, what is it? <laughs> I think it's just Ice Mountain. Ice Mountain, yeah. You feel like it should be Icicle Mountain, because Ice Mountain, it's just blunt. It's just blunt in there. Ice it, Mountain and Snowhorn it's like Waste. A, it's like a synonym for Icicle Pyramid, and you don't want to do that. Yeah. Before we talk about all of that and, and talk about the goodness that was the game itself, we've got to talk about the history. And to really talk about the history of Star Fox Adventures, especially as it relates to the conversation and DK Vine, and the Donkey Kong universe, we have to go back. We have to go back to 1997. And that was the year of Star Fox 64, but it was also the year of another game that 
weirdly more directly ties into Star Fox Adventures than any other game, and that's Diddy Kong Racing. The beloved Diddy Kong Racing, because Diddy Kong Racing was, of course, this ad hoc game that was plugged into the schedule to make up for the fact that Banjo-Kazooie was delayed until 1998, and Nintendo didn't have a big holiday release in 1997 because they were counting on Rare to deliver Banjo-Kazooie. And so when Pro-Am 64, the the RC Pro-Am spiritual successor on the Nintendo 64, that, that was actually very close to being a complete game. And uh, as we've discussed many times here on the conversation, it was decided by Nintendo that, hey, you know, we we could actually market this as our big holiday game, but it needs a marketable star. We need to plug in a character that the kids love. And so it was decided it should be a Donkey Kong character. Rare chose Diddy Kong and made it Diddy Kong Racing. And by virtue of that, by virtue of it getting bumped up in the release schedule, by virtue of it being then absorbed into a pre-existing series as this starring role for Diddy, it had the effect of backdoor piloting a couple of other rare games that weren't intended to be spin-offs of Donkey Kong, but by this quirk of fate effectively became Donkey Kong spinoffs. And of course, that is Banjo-Kazooie and Conker's Pocket Tales slash Conker's Quest slash 12 Tales Conker 64 slash Conker's Bad Fur Day. Those games weren't supposed to be coming after Diddy Kong Racing. They both did. And that had the effect of then creating this shared universe that we call the Donkey Kong universe. You may refer to it as the rare shared universe, Diddy Kong Racing universe. I don't know how you define it. There is no one omni term for it, but we at DK Vine do call it the Donkey Kong universe. Although I am sheepish using that term, you know, when directly referencing rare today, because I'm sure they don't want to, think that they don't want people to think they're getting away with something by acknowledging, you know, Donkey Kong in any way where they can. But Diddy Kong Racing did have this effect, though, on the fan base where, you know, we we looked at it. We saw Banjo-Kazooie. We saw Conker. We were like, wow, you know, two spinoffs out of Diddy Kong Racing. I wonder who else will get a spinoff out of Diddy Kong Racing. It has this wide cast of new characters. You could do so much with so many of these uh, woodland critters. And and so that sort of set this unrealistic expectation game of who will be the next Diddy Kong Racing character to get their own game. And this was something that was just in the air from late 97 through 2002, and even later than that, when will we get another game starring a Diddy Kong Racing character? And if you weren't around for this, I can't really relate to you what it felt like, but it really did feel like the sky was the limit, that there were so many possibilities. Especially if you, like, lacked the, which a lot of us did, the context of why Banjo and Conker and Diddy were in this because it does kind of seem like this is a a wild west of like uh you know the, these 
these characters like next ticket to stardom. It, it, it like like seeing the cast of SNL and like, ooh, which one of these people is going to have a movie career next? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, somebody then just ended up being the Chris Kattan. But I I think that you know even the, those of us who had the context, like I knew Banjo Kazooie and Conker's Quest were announced before Diddy Kong Racing. I, I knew that had things gone differently, they would not have been proper spinoffs. But I think it was still in the air, like, oh, you know, when's Tip Top going to get his own game? When when are we going to get a uh, a bumper game? And in actuality, several characters were either considered for games for real, briefly kicked around, or had been considered for games at Rare at one time or another before they were reworked into Diddy Kong Racing. I get the impression almost that Diddy Kong Racing is sort of this, like, internal like toy box at rare yeah where like if you if you have an idea and like you you just need like some kind of placeholder to slot in like oh but you know pick something out of the the diddy kong racing chest and put it in and you know you might leave it there or you might take it out yeah and it's especially amusing you know after the buyout where rare retained most of the intellectual property for the game sans the name diddy kong racing and you know diddy kong and crunch because crunch was retroactively made a kremlin when they added diddy kong and you know you've you've got to shore up those donkey kong ties so let's say that this uh alligator or crocodile character is a kremlin and then we uh, sort of see that to nintendo five years later when we divvy up who gets what but yeah, r- real, real good narrative choice that unfortunately kind of means he's not showing up in anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Nintendo has had Donkey Kong Racing games after this, and he still didn't show up. But <laughs> Pipsy, of course, was a reworked character of Kev Bayless's Astro Mouse, who, you know, Astro Mouse didn't really look like Pipsy, but he reworked her in- into this character, Pipsy. You mean, lo- looked like her in the sense that it's a mouse modeled by Kev Bayless. Right. But, like, very different, for clearly very different, like, theming in mind. And now we've got members of the fan community who still want Pipsy to have her own spinoff game where she's a space-faring uh, explorer, you know? Uh, let- let's make Astro Mouse a reality. Tip Top, of course, would become a minor reoccurring character in the Banjo-Kazooie series. And we still don't know for sure uh, the basis of that. If there was a turtle already in Banjo-Kazooie that they then renamed Tip Top after Diddy Kong Racing to help sort of create this greater cohesion. I mean, it's seems- like the two teams just like the same pun because you also have tanked up yeah. in, in Banjo-Pilot. It's... Well- or, or if, you know, the Diddy Kong Racing team used the name Tip Top from the Banjo-Kazooie Turtle. We don't know. It just, you know, they have radically different designs because the Diddy Kong Racing Tip Top very much looks like that Kev Bayless art direction. While the Banjo-Kazooie Tip Top is obviously Ed Bryan's handiwork. And we've seen that, like, when they were prototyping uh, what would ine- eventually become Connect Sports, they were using Tip Top in, like, a sort of bowling game. It was like, was it curling or, or was it bowling or it was, it was something like that. I think where, it might, I think it might have been curling. Yeah. Um, it's a very like the only context we have from it is like a off camera footage of a, a presentation slide. And it just looks so surreal. 
Yeah, the, the original Fast and the Furious, which had a, a plethora of DKR elements in there, but that it would also include a, a TT costume for your uh, your your own human being uh, in, in the game. And of course, much later, TT would be cruelly teased in Sea of Thieves as, as a potential asset, a potential character this ambiguous uh like watch that is tt that you could uh hang in your ship and uh you know i i can talk about this because greg mails just blatantly shared this on twitter and i was like all right it's fair game now i can talk about it but i just so i don't just so i don't get any notes it was bowling okay okay it was bowling yeah it was the maybe it wasn't the best bowling ever 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 because it could have had tip top (laughs) But yeah, TT was uh, in in the beta version of Sea of Thieves, which I did get to play when I was at Rare, and I did get to interact with TT, and I got to hold him in my hands, and I got to put him in my pirate ship, and it was the best thing ever. And of course, uh, TT has not shown up in the final product of Sea of Thieves, but don't worry, we're still going to make that happen. I'm still fighting tirelessly for TT and Sea of Thieves. And maybe Chris Alcock was serious when he alluded to the possibility that his novel character, Tom Tuggs, was reincarnated as TT. He he didn't seem to dismiss it. He seemed to actually feed that fire. So hope springs eternal for TT. But at the end of the day, you know, Diddy Kong Racing is more of a series of failed spinoff attempts or have to bake never to completion ideas for spinoffs and you know aside from the games retroactively made spinoffs of course banjo kazooie and conquer and it, weirdly it was banjo tooie of all games that would expand the donkey kong universe the most because uh, it has more spinoff claims than even diddy kong racing does now because you've got from banjo tooie it's Mr. Pants. You've got the modern reimagining of Saberman into Saberwolf GBA. You've got the Captain Black Eye thing with Sea of Thieves. And of course, the many journeys of Royston the Goldfish. So Banjo Tooie ultimately pulled off what Diddy Kong Racing could not. But there was another character associated with Diddy Kong Racing that probably has the worst luck out of all of them. And that ties in specifically to the discussion we're having today. And I, of course, am referring to Timber the Tiger, the second protagonist of Diddy Kong Racing. Because after having Pro-Am 64 stolen by him from Diddy Kong, Timber was originally the main character, hence Timber's Island, hence the whole game revolving around his attempt at expelling Whizpig. From he's also just a very, like, Diddy-like archetype, because he's a kid in a baseball cap. Right. A rare baseball cap, as opposed to a Nintendo baseball cap. Completely different characters here. But, um, you know, Timber was originally the star of, of Diddy Kong Racing. And, in fact, we, we said, you know, about Astro Mouse, Cap Bayless has said he also toyed around with this tiger character, uh, Timber, you know, before Diddy Kong Racing even. So he's he's been kicking around for a while there. And you clearly see the Kev Bayless influence. As you just said, He looked, he's basically Diddy Kong and Kev Bayless was the one who gave us Diddy Kong. So, anyway. But, um, 
the the director of Diddy Kong Racing, Lee Shuneman. Is that how you pronounce it? I never know how to pronounce it. I believe so. Okay. He, a- after completing Diddy Kong Racing, I was like, what am I going to do next? And he toyed with the idea of having Timber be the star of the follow-up game. Like, let's let's just take Timber, let's give him his own adventure. And that would not just be any adventure, that would be a time-traveling adventure. So, little is known about this first version of Dinosaur Planet. But according to Kev Bayless, uh, Timber was going to be a time-traveling tiger with a rucksack, little fingerless gloves, a baseball cap, and a small dinosaur for a sidekick. So, effectively, what became Dinosaur Planet and what became Star Fox Adventures started off with Timber. And you can clearly see that evolution from Timber to Saber to Fox McCloud. But, oh, poor Timber. Poor, poor Timber. He he cannot catch a break, this poor kid. Just constantly shunted out of the spotlight for somebody else. You know, it's funny. During the buyout era, when you know Rare was first with Xbox and... It still felt like the world was full of possibility, even though we now have this split between the franchises, Nintendo on one side, Rare and Microsoft on the other. I thought, hey, you know, Timber is effectively Diddy Kong. Maybe Diddy Kong without the experience, Diddy Kong without the self-assurance, the confidence. It would be great if Rare would just do a... We didn't even have the term spiritual successor back then, but it would be great if Rare could effectively make Donkey Kong Country 4, but with Timber as the star and his whole family, and let's just explore that, and let's just have them be XPs for the Kongs. And, you know, we would have eventually sort of get that with Ukulele and Impossible Lair with, and Platonic, but, you know, it, it, was, it was just... This desire to do something more with Timber has always been with the diehard fans of Diddy Kong Racing. It's still with me today. But we didn't even know about this history of Dinosaur Planet, that before Saber, there was Timber as the star of the game, and it revolved around him. And before it even, you know, took place on an extraterrestrial planet, it was just Timber traveling through time. And it seems like the like the dinosaur theming just kind of grew to this to be a much bigger, bigger part of the project. All, all like there's this through line, I guess, um, from Dino Domain in Diddy Kong Racing that's just sort of um, swelled and swelled until it took over the entire idea. Yeah, and you you get this, you know, a lot of times with development where you have this minor, minuscule element that is clearly the favorite, like. People keep coming back to it like, oh, let's expand this, let's expand this. And before long, that becomes the entire project and everything else is shunted by the wayside. You get this little golden nugget of an idea amidst everything else. And that is what you really want to plant. And, and- It feels a bit like um, all the Greg Mails games that like slowly seeded more and more piracy. <laughs> Um, until we just got a full-blown pirate game. Right, yeah. I, I believe the technical term for that is edging. <laughs> but you th- you uh, you have to wonder, and we don't know anything about this, so this is just purely speculation on my part. But I have to wonder if Shuneman was thinking, I would really like to 
maybe explain in this game because I didn't. I don't know if it took place on Timber's Island or not. It starred Timber, so that is a logical assumption to make. But it could have very easily just taken place elsewhere in what we now know as the Rare Archipelago. But I wonder if he was thinking, "Hey, why are dinosaurs on Timber's Island? What if we could explain that?" What if, what if we explain that through time travel? So I don't know if this game was initially conceived as a prequel to Diddy Kong Racing that would explain why there are dinosaurs in the present day. I lean towards it maybe being a prequel to Diddy Kong Racing for one reason, and that is the through line. The one constant between all iterations of Dinosaur Planet, and that is the character <laughs> Tricky. And when I say that Diddy Kong Racing is a story of failed spinoffs or false spinoffs that aren't really spinoffs but are portrayed as spinoffs, there is one character effectively, successfully spun out of Diddy Kong Racing, but it's none of the playable characters. <laughs> it's, it's not Bumper. It's not Drumstick. It's not even TT yet. It's the first boss of the game, Tricky, who we knew as a Triceratops in Diddy Kong Racing, which is not a character you would think, hey, let's really explore the backstory of this asshole who cheats. Uh, I mean, he's just <laughs> he's just a gruff dinosaur boss who then, you know, warms up to you when you beat him. He says, well done, kid. But he's a, he's a, all, the, all the boss characters in Diddy Kong Racing are fun, but it's, you know, you put a list in front of me, it's not the one you'd pick out. Yeah. The, but, the, this this is the kid that's going places. Yeah. So I I don't have any evidence to back this up. And, and Lee Shuneman is effectively a ghost online right now. Like, he, he's not really active on Twitter. He's, he's, he doesn't really do many interviews. But I have a suspicion that this game would have explored why there are dinos in Dino Domain. And the reason that Tricky... This this boss character from Diddy Kong Racing was in the game was that you meet him as a younger dinosaur in uh, in this early version of Dinosaur Planet where Timber travels through time and Timber meets Tricky and befriends him and takes him back with him to the present and he becomes this constant dinosaur companion to, to Timber throughout the time traveling adventure. I don't know. I, I don't have anything to go off of, but that seems like the most logical assumption to make. And that brings us to the long sordid history of Tricky in Dinosaur Planet and Star Fox Adventures. And why DK Vine? We're the only ones who die on this dinosaur. I was going to say horse, but I guess it, it would be a dinosaur. We're the only ones who ultimately consider him to be the same character as Tricky in Diddy Kong Racing. And this is also the part of the episode where we explain why a noted Donkey Kong enthusiast website like DK Vine talks about Star Fox so much, but only three Star Fox games, not the, not the ones that people really like. No, we we talk about the the controversial ones in the middle. Um, all right, Cameron. So unambiguously, Tricky initially was the same Tricky from Diddy Kong Racing. 
Things got murkier as development shifted from Dinosaur Planet to Star Fox Adventures. Yes. But originally, they were supposed to be one and the same without question, without debate. And uh, th- this all started... And, uh, you know, it's it's hard for me to remember the complete history of Dinosaur Planet being rumored because you hear things about, oh, is Rare working on a new game? They've, they've registered the trademark, Dinosaur Planet. Oh, they're making a game about dinosaurs. And then when Rare actually cops to it and reveals info, it, it's it's nebulous. It's all sort of muddy especially because dinosaur planet while i was very much looking forward to it it wasn't my area of expertise on vintage dk vine i was more focused on of course donkey kong 64 and then banjo Tooie and conquer's eventual game so dinosaur planet was also this oh yeah that's also going to be really cool but i really can't devote too much brain power towards it because I have to keep up on the Banjo Tooie hype. I, I have to focus on this. So I will leave that to other editors to be more enthusiastic about. So I can't really remember the full details about how Rare revealed Dinosaur Planet, when, when it was officially revealed, when it was shown off. I know E3 2000 played a role, but I can't remember how much we knew before then and, and what the yeah, details I... were. I certainly can't speak to this because I, in these years, I still like wasn't really online at all. And I feel like Dinosaur Planet was one of those games that like the the marketing rollout hadn't hit yet um, before it was converted over to Star Fox Adventures. So unless you were very in the know about it, it, it probably wasn't it probably wasn't on your radar. It certainly wasn't on mine. I feel like this is one of the first games that you really had an inside track on if you were online as much as I was around this time. Because, you know, you would have magazines report on things. You would have magazines report on rumors. Like, Donkey Kong 64 was just this rumored game that every video game magazine, sans Nintendo Power, basically said, yeah, it's happening. Of course it's happening. But And there were magazine articles about dinosaur planet but it wasn't say um you know you walk into a store and find a nintendo power with saber on the cover as a full page yeah uh artwork yeah and this is this was the point where once i discovered rare's website i basically stopped reading all video game magazines because i sort of had you know, the source, the fountainhead of all information pertaining to Rare. And I, I, th- I think what really sold me was when Lee basically said that Donkey Kong 64 was happening in 1998, before it was officially announced, you know, on New Year's. And and I was like, all right, well, this is all I need then, because I'm getting actual information from L. Loveday from off of Rare. I, d- I don't need to, you know, sort of read the tarot cards of other video game magazines when I'm speaking to the Oracle himself. But yeah, Dinosaur Planet was a game that was definitely heavily rumored um, once the name was out there. And other rare games sort of had this pattern where we would know about the name before we would know about anything else. Grab by the Ghoulies, Cameo. I, re- I remember Cameo. We thought Cameo might be a game starring a bunch of, like, other rare characters. Like, 
B-listers and C-listers and D-listers because the name Cameo imply like, oh, there's going to be a bunch of cameos in this game. And so DK Vine was all about that until we found out it was just about fairy. But, <laughs> you know, we, we knew about the names before we knew anything about the games. And the the, the connection between Dinosaur Planet and the DKU was really first fomented by Lee Loveday in Scribes when he would put a render of Tricky from Diddy Kong Racing at the top of the letter column for many months. And actually, I'd completely forgotten about the context behind this. I remember the render. It's the render where Tricky is sort of facing ass first with his head slightly tilted towards you, the viewer. And I remember this render because we did not know where this render came from because we hadn't seen it as a contemporary render of Diddy Kong Racing. And and yeah, I a sure- lot of Diddy Kong Racing like artwork is like as with a lot of like things from this era, like Rare would make honestly way more promotional renders than they really needed to, and there'd always be like a handful from each of their games that would show up like one very specific place and never again. Right. And there's still renders that we haven't seen to this day. And it's really frustrating because we really want high res versions of everything. And it's why a rare art book is, is probably our most desired. A rare art book slash history book is our most desired publication we could get from rare. Um, aside from a third Sea of Thieves novel, of course. Uh, but rare treasures which was announced by dark horse back in 2017 and then there was just no follow-up on just like oh come on what happened there but anyway i digress we hadn't seen this render of tricky four i'm sure it's from diddy kong racing but because we hadn't seen it we thought oh my god is this a render from dot 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 dinosaur planet and then lee was infamous for using alt text on all of his renders and images on Rare's classic website, Rareware. And so you you hovered over this tricky render at the top of Scribes, and the alt text you would get would say, Planet? What planet? I'm from DKR, mate. Ah, so it, it really did sort of set the stage for us thinking, oh my god, is tricky? in dinosaur planet and of course he was he was uh so as dinosaur planet Just not looking like this <laughs> no no as dinosaur planet sort of got unveiled and we saw what tricky looked like in dinosaur planet pre Star Fox adventures with saber as his uh bipedal companion uh it was clear that Tricky was far younger than he was in Diddy Kong Racing. And we we're like, oh my god, Dinosaur Planet is a prequel to Diddy Kong Racing. It takes place a long time ago in a, if not galaxy far, far away, then a solar system far, far away. And and so that that was just like catnip to us that, oh my god, we're getting a prequel to the DKU that really explains explains where the dinosaurs come from you know maybe the dinosaurs in Diddy kong racing the dinosaurs that we would eventually see in banjo tui you know and and of course conquers bad fur day but 
it, it was exciting. And we really, of course, clung to this idea that this was the same tricky. And then after it became Star Fox Adventures, there was a bit of debate about whether or not it was the same tricky. And early on, it seemed like Lee disconfirmed or attempted to disconfirm that it was the same tricky in a reply to DK Vine co-founder Chad in Scribes. And it was one of those nebulous statements that can be read a dozen different ways depending on what you bring into it, what you want to believe. And, and it, it should be it should be said like Lee was relaying a response from somebody else as well. So there's like an extra layer of like um division going on here. Which we'll get into in, in just a bit here. I liken it to the same statement as Diddy Kong being Donkey Kong's nephew wannabe, where <laughs> that su- such a simple statement can be read so many different ways depending on what you want to believe. Is Diddy Kong biologically Donkey Kong's nephew? Is he a nephew in spirit only? Like, as I saw related on Twitter, Jesse Pickman is to Walter White, which I, I can't <laughs> unsee now. <laughs> and, and so we, we still have this de- debate, you know, 23 years later in the fandom about how Diddy Kong relates to Donkey Kong. The Idaho crew is always on me about this, even though I think we effectively believe the same thing. It, it just how we parse it out is, uh, is a little bit different in the nuance, but... Anyway, I, I, I very much saw this at the time as a certain point of view thing. And I'm sure with the buyout looming behind the scenes, there was a desire not to say, yes, this potential rare intellectual property is the exact same as this character who will surely remain Nintendo's intellectual property. The, the time <laughs> that we asked this, not knowing what was happening behind the scenes and what rare was sort of facing down future prospects for it makes complete sense that we would get this answer and and it's a valid question because like we know in context why he's named tricky and diddy kong racing it's because he's a racing opponent that cheats and he's a triceratops and we need alliteration of some sort (laughs) but But, what does that have to do with him being a cute little child companion in a like zelda like yeah that that's always been my go-to but dot 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 you know rebuttal to all the people who say they're different characters is what damn sense does the name tricky make out of the context of him being the diddy kong racing dinosaur i guess you could like argue he well he does tricks like a dog but that's not how you'd arrive at that organically as the same name no, and they even put a lampshade on it in Star Fox Adventures where Fox hears Tricky's name for the first <laughs> time and he says, nice name, a- as if like that <laughs> that makes it okay that his name makes no sense out of the context of beating Diddy Kong Racing Boss. But okay, all right. They made an effort. That's more than most people do. But anyway, this this is the exact statement that uh, what was given in Scribes to is, tr- tell us, is Tricky in Dinosaur Planet, the same character, or Star Fox Adventures, the same character as in Diddy Kong Racing. Um, I guess this was pre-Star Fox Adventures then, um, because it says right then, answers from Dino Planet's Man in the Know are called for, I think. This would have been, uh, I think this was from April of 
2000. Okay, so, so like is, before we were publicly aware of the. I, I I think we were. I think Rare did like announce like did did a. Or slow, sorry, Ju- June of 2000. June of 2000. June. Okay, so this this would be after uh, E3 of that year. Then I think. Um, but bef- but before we were publicly told that the game was being retooled behind the scenes. Right, right, right. So okay, so. Just yeah, because I think Rare did a slow reveal for Dinosaur Planet stuff, but it had its big coming out party at E3 2000, and so then that sort of really upped the stakes. Because yeah, Tricky did look different; he was a little kid, and we were just we wanted to know. And so, of course, as we did at DK Vine, we shot off a letter to Scribes. Like before, we could at somebody on Twitter. That was the quickest and simplest way of garnering communication with Rare. And so Lee said, right then, answers from Dino Planet's man in the know are called for, I think. So we don't know who the man in the know is, if this was Lee Shuneman or this was somebody else on the staff. They were very... I feel like Lee Shuneman or Kev Bayless would be the likely answers, but I can't say for sure. Yeah, Lee was always very, Lee Loveday was always very careful about pulling in other people at Rare who might want a degree of anonymity, you know, back during this era when being online was considered this dodgy thing and, you know, not social media wasn't a thing and we didn't live our entire lives in the public view, but... Uh, anyway, this is the quote we got from this anonymous Dinosaur Planet staffer. Okay, this is about Tricky. All right. In a way, no. When it, so already we, we got this very, like, have your cake and eat it too statement. In a way, no. When the game started development, he was the same dinosaur. But as it has now changed completely from the original design... We've kept his name, but essentially, he's a different dinosaur. So, <laughs> we, we had this statement, Cameron, that would have immediately torpedoed uh, any notion of it being DKU, uh, of Dinosaur Planet still retaining that connection to... Um, diddy kong racing but because it was so we're taking a lot of uh seeing a lot of wiggle room in that word essentially Asen- and in a way and essentially yeah and when i i was trying to f- like find this quote when i was doing the show notes you eventually found it for me cameron so thank you but i just remembered the essentially so i kept plugging that in as a google <laughs> search term uh, tricky dinosaur planet uh scribes essentially and it kept bringing back results minus essentially i was like no include essentially but i i couldn't find it but anyway uh it's so essential yeah. Yeah. So as you said, wiggle room. And we were like, well, he started off as the same dinosaur, but essentially he's different. You could just say design wise, he's essentially different. But character wise, the soul of the character is still in there. And and character designs are always malleable. So I can see why like that necessarily didn't matter. I mean, we've had right. Diddy with a different amount of fingers and toes for more than 20 years, I think, D- at this point. Di- different eye colors, too. Like, three different eye colors throughout the years. Yeah, I-, I think that we saw it more from the dev standpoint of, well, no, they're different, but it's still tricky, the dinosaur. So we basically ran with it. We are like, close enough. 
we can't dismiss this outright, so we are going to continue operating under the assumption that it is the same Tricky from Diddy Kong Racing just as a child. Because, you know, that render of Tricky at the top of Scribes, um, what was Diddy Kong Racing Tricky? So we thought maybe at one time he was adult Tricky, you know, which I don't, I think Kev Bayless has sh- shown us or from his statements, we can sort of piece together that no, he was always a little kid tricky in this game. But anyway, um, we and also for it. DK Vine purposes, like you don't want to be told a thing that like inclines you to stop talking about a game on, on DK Vine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's like all those people who argue with us that no, Greg Mails isn't technically sailing as Captain Black Eye in Sea of Thieves. And we're like, shut up. <laughs> no, no, they don't. They don't call the fish Royston in ukulele. Yeah, shut up. Why? Why do you want us to talk about less games? It's just so limited. Anyway, there's also a second statement to to one of Chad's questions here, uh, where it's, it just uh, clarifies: Dinosaur Planet has no links whatsoever to Diddy Kong Racing. The to be continued may be answered sometime in the future. Still waiting. Still yeah. waiting on that one. <laughs> Still waiting. I mean, I guess you could uh, say Diddy Kong Racing DS counts, but then it just provides its own sort of cliffhanger, sort of. So anyway, so this is what we had to go off of. And no more was spoken of this for several years, like upwards of five years. And so DK Vine, you know, we experienced the buyout. We... we experienced it the change of Star Fox Adventures, but we still argued that this was the same tricky. And people disagreed with us. There are still people on the DK Vine forum and in the community who say, no, they're not the same tricky. Didn't you read that statement? It said, in a way, no. Essentially, he's a different dinosaur. What do you not understand about that? But Anyway, I think Mario Wiki runs with that because, you know, Mario Wiki doesn't want to have the headache of having to cover Star Fox Adventures and Star Fox Assault. So they're like, yeah, you know, they're, they're different. I can understand from that point of view, like, when does a thing stop becoming linked to a thing? It's the same reason we came up with the Waluigi rule. So we wouldn't have to talk about games that were completely unrelated to the DKU and and sort of this tapestry that is rare because yeah fire emblem for the GBA is a very fun game but what is what the hell does that have to do with anything other than Roy first appeared in the west in Super Smash Brothers Melee so we we have to come up with this kind of rule for cameo games and and it makes sense and i understand why Mario Wiki would not want to cover Star Fox Adventures but anyway August uh, was at 30th, 2007, there was a new edition of Scribes. And this is, again, five years into the buyout era, five years into them being with Xbox, well into the Xbox 360 era. And they got another question about Tricky, uh, somehow. And, and this just shows how, we, we talked about in the last episode, how careful... Uh, Rare was on their website not to invoke Nintendo right around the time of the buyout. But five years in, Lee was just like, yeah, I'll answer questions about Tricky from Star Fox Adventures, whatever the fuck, I don't care. (laughs) Uh, We're five years into this and we kind of know, like, there are no hard rules pertaining to this. We just can't have uh, 
copyrighted images on our website. Anyway, Lee said, the tricky question initially seems a bit, well, trickier because he appeared in DKR before Star Fox Adventures, assuming it's the same character, which it supposedly is, or was originally intended to be. But at the end of the day, Nintendo owns SFA outright, and Tricky also turned up in the otherwise rare free zone of Star Fox Assault, along with Crystal, which would more or less confirm it. So the question was, does Rare own Tricky? Who owns Tricky? And Lee came down on the side that I guess Nintendo owns Tricky, but it might be the same character as Diddy Kong Racing. Which, so five years in, the, the, the stance is obviously softening towards our viewpoint. And maybe that's just because we wore people down. I don't yeah, know. It kind of seems like the answer might be like, maybe Rare could legally use the DKR version of Tricky, but we're probably never going to just to not even have to address that question. Yeah, I've talked about this before, but when I got to meet a bunch of people at Rare for the first time in person at E3 2015, and I I got to chat with somebody who worked on Dinosaur Planet slash Star Fox Adventures, and and we were talking about, like, the rights to who owns what, and he basically said, yeah, nobody really knows. (laughs) When when it comes to (laughs) characters like Tricky... They don't know, and, and it's really not a hornet's nest they'd like to poke. Nintendo's used it, so Nintendo probably has rights, you know. Basically, don't look for Rare or Xbox to ever try to resurrect the character of Tricky as he appeared in Diddy Kong Racing without Nintendo's tacted endorsement or, you know, oversight. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it basically they crunched Tricky. Like, you could make the legal argument that they are separate characters, but at the end of the day, nobody's going to do that because who the fuck cares except us. So, yeah, Nintendo got him. <laughs> Nintendo got him in the divorce. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, flash forward to July 4th, 2012. Another five years. And... um DK Vine's Twitter account. I think this was Jeff... Yeah, this was in a time when we had like rotating staff or or basically everybody chipped in a little bit on all forms of social media before we kind of like delegated like, no, this person is running Facebook. I'm running the Tumblr. Yeah. Um, Chad was the steward of the Twitter until you took over that sort of thing. Right. I, I was in charge of Facebook for the longest time. And then uh, I, I took over both Facebook and Twitter and it makes more sense because it, it was ungainly to have so many cooks in the kitchen. Essentially. And because there's no acknowledgement of like which voice is being spoken yeah. with, it can come off a little bit contradictory. It, it, and it did. So we, we cleaned that up. But yeah, this was when everybody had free reign because we didn't care about Twitter because what, what the fuck was Twitter? So um, Jeff tweeted on July 4th, 2012, it's Independence Day. That's right, the day that Dino Domain declared its sovereignty from Dinosaur Planet, or something. To which uh, Rare retweeted, Fact. (laughs) (laughs) Fact. Fact, period. We we will grasp at the smallest straws we can get, but we we ran with this one. Oh yeah, And, and I think that really shows how we wore them down over the course of a decade or 12 years. 
to the point where nobody cares anymore. <laughs> you know, it, it's we we effectively won the argument, I would say. And, and, and look, like I understand, like if we sat down again with Kev Bayless or or somebody else who worked on Star Fox Adventures, they would probably argue this point. It's like the Star Fox Adventures devs never acknowledging that the shopkeeper is named Shabunga. Which we know was appropriated from, like, a character that got cut in development, but somehow right. made it into a player's guide? Yes, Nintendo Power and, and their player's guide ran with the name Shabunga. And let's face it, Shabunga is such a fun name. It's such a cool name. Why waste it? Why like, waste yeah, it? Yeah, put, put it on the shopkeeper. <laughs> and, and yeah, we don't know how they reappropriated it. it it's like... Uh, the early Star Wars expanded universe, like reappropriating several names from Lucas's like rough drafts of Star Wars. And, you know, I, I think it works and it's effectively canon because at the end of the day, Nintendo does own the rights to Star Fox Adventures. So if they want to say he's Shabunga, who are we to disagree? But you talk to anybody who worked on the game and they would say he's the shopkeeper. He doesn't have a name. And we're like, well, OK, but his name is Shabunga. Uh do you even Star Fox Adventures, bro? So uh, I, I'm sure most on the team, like I said, including Kev, would be surprised by our assertion that Diddy Kong Racing Tricky is the same character as Star Fox Adventures Tricky and that Star Fox is effectively a prequel to Donkey Kong. But it's one of those things like Chris Seaver not believing that Conker is part of the shared universe of Donkey Kong or Banjo, or Greg Males maybe not believing that Banjo-Kazooie is exactly the same shared universe as Donkey Kong. The understandings of the creators on the team have effectively been overruled by either the broader studio and statements they've made, or or the or just the continuity presented in the game. I mean, themselves. it happens. It happens when these intellectual properties are bigger than any one person, right? And while we respect Word of God on DK Vine to a certain extent, we do have to draw the line where we get these contradictory statements. And yeah, like I respect the hell out of Chris Siever and Greg Males, and respect the vision they had for these, but. You know, but also, I, Diddy Kong Racing doesn't not exist because you said something like that. Right. I've got paragraphs of text that say Conker is friends with Diddy Kong. So uh, what's more fun? You know, at the end of the day, yeah. what are we going to have more fun with? Just just uh, like not covering Conker at all and pretending like there was some sort of multiversal crossover in Diddy Kong Racing or looking at the instruction manual. And seeing what it has to say on the matter, which is a whole hell of a lot more fun. Hey, Rare Archipelago, this is great. So, yeah, I you, you do run up you know, against this at some point. And like I said, we respect the creators. We respect their point of view. But they are essentially working in a larger tapestry. They, they are but one thread in, in the larger quilt. So, you know... They're the same. They're the same dinosaur. I think Rare uh, broadly agrees with that. Now they don't disagree with it, and you saw how Lee Loveday was hedging his bets. Not five years after Star Fox Adventures came out, yeah, they're they're the same dinosaur. I guess. I mean, maybe. I uh, who knows? <laughs> you know. And look, we're we're not going to get into Star Fox Assault too much 
in discussion in this spotlight series. But Star Fox Assault honestly sets up the Diddy Kong Racing Tricky so beautifully, so perfectly, as such this weird middle ground between Star Fox Adventures and Diddy Kong Racing, that it's too perfect to say that no, they're not the same dinosaur. And I know, like... Uh, Star Fox Adventures and Assault Tricky are not portrayed as Triceratops, uh, which Diddy Kong Racing Tricky was, but some Earthwalkers are Triceratops. So, you know, he's an Earthwalker. Yeah, it seems to be exclusively the, like, royal family that doesn't have the horns in front. Yeah, you you look at the Earthwalkers, and they are uh, made up of I, 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 I'm not a dinosaur guy, Cameron, so I can't say, um, it's, it's, what, what kind of dinosaurs are they? Like, Ceratopsians? Is that, is that how you pronounce it? I, you're asking the wrong person, but I'm All sure right. somebody is screaming at us listening yeah, to this episode. Yeah. E- effectively, whatever Earthwalkers are, um, uh, maybe it's St- Styracosaurus? Like that's what I I want to say like like tricky specifically it might be but I don't know what the like umbrella term for like yeah yeah like so, the type that these are like other than like yeah yeah I, I'm just gonna cut myself off right here before I say something that I need to correct I just looked it up so ceratopsia and I'm probably bungling the pronunciation of that because I'm not a paleontologist shusha bungling. That is the class of dinosaurs that Earthwalkers are. And uh, the King of Earthwalker and Prince Tricky would seem to be the Styracosauruses. They have a nose horn, but they don't have um, the horns above their eyes. But the Queen Earthwalker would be a proto-ceratops, because she doesn't have any horns. And that the the, the standard run-of-the-mill Earthwalkers are Triceratops. I I would imagine they weren't so concerned with the like dissecting the biology of how this works and more just like what makes a distinctive character design because like oh yeah of course the like warrior class earthwalkers would be the ones with the horns in front right so you know they're, they're all interbreeded earthwalkers so you know maybe tricky evolved into a triceratops looking motherfucker but he's not a triceratops he's an alien extraterrestrial saurian so he just so happens to resemble a triceratops this is also why like nobody from star fox adventures or diddy kong racing is bound by the increasingly updating fossil record exactly they can like oh like do dinosaurs have others do they not doesn't matter diddy kong racing's locked in time because they're aliens now apparently (laughs) yeah because jeff made it canon for us on july 4th 2012 that all the dinosaurs in dna kong racing and by process of association banjo tui and conquers bad fur day all those dinosaurs are extraterrestrials from dinosaur planet also known as soria so yeah high five (laughs) yay (laughs) So that is why DK Vine covers Star Fox Adventures, because it is a Diddy Kong Racing spinoff. It started off, 
a blatant Diddy Kong Racing spinoff. And over time, that was sort of whittled, a, a whittled away. But Tricky is still in all versions of the game. And God bless them for never changing his name. I mean, really, seriously, thank you for sticking with that ludicrous, means-nothing name through all three versions of the game. Because without it, we wouldn't be talking about it here on The Conversation today. Yeah, nice name indeed. All right, so let's talk about the hype for Dinosaur Planet just a little bit. Now, I admittedly was not as focused as i said on dinosaur planet i i it was it was parallel to the hype for tubi and conquer i wasn't as completely invested in this game initially as other dk vine editors and now Star Fox adventures is in my top 10 games of all time which is something that as much as i love them tubi and conquer's bad fur day do not share like like Star Fox adventures is in my top 10 of all time and and Bad Fur Day and Tui would probably be in my top 20 for sure, but but they're not in the holy upper echelon. I would probably, in my case, put Tui above Adventures, but yeah. like it's not like it's not worlds apart. Right. <laughs> right. So, you know, it, it, even though I could not devote as much me- mental bandwidth to concentrate on dinosaur planet because you have to understand like back in the day back in the uh the middle smack dab in the middle of the spin-off era for the dku we had a bounty of stuff like we, we we had donkey kong stuff to look forward to banjo and conquer were both active vibrant franchises and so you throw in a fourth thing there and and like yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, give me as much as I want, but it's it's not going to be something that I can just be as equally excited about as everything else. And if it, it's even worse if you're like a general Rare fan because you've got like Perfect Dark mixed in there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, look over at what RareNet was doing at this time. They were only talking about Perfect Dark and they were just throwing lip surface into everything else. So it just depended on how you're wired and what you're looking forward to. Obviously, with the DKU connection, I was looking forward to Dinosaur Planet, but I kind of liken it to how Marvel Studios fans, Marvel Cinematic Universe fans must feel these days where you've got, you know, eight Disney Plus series in the works and, and 30 movies and... Then you've got the maybe the cameo appearances in the Sony Spider-Man universe, and you're you're you just can't be excited for everything. You're broadly looking forward to everything. Oh, that might be cool, but yeah, you know something like Werewolf by Night. You know, it's like yeah, I'm looking forward to it, but I'm not going to spend hours upon every day thinking about what it might be. And some things like they'll only hit you when the game is out and in your hands or you like that point in the marketing cycle where you know everything that you need to know. Yeah. But I I will say this, it quickly became, I think the most hyped game for the rest of the DK vine staff sans me. I know Chad and Ben were all about this and you know, dinosaurs weren't particularly in the zeitgeist at the turn of the millennium. Like that was mostly an early nineties craze. I feel like there was like a hard downward turn after Lost World came out. Yeah. Like I feel I, like that was 
like where the where the where the line on the graph started to go down. Yeah, early nineties. You like everything was about dinosaurs. From yeah, you know, people point to Jurassic Park, but it was in the air before Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park was a movie that just hit the zeitgeist at the right time. But you look at Super Mario World. I mean, you know, Yoshi, and then the the uh, cartoon that came with it was all about this prehistoric land and really played that up more than anything, and. The Super Mario Brothers movie, as a result, also, like, focused Dinotopia, on... Dinotopia, I think, started in yeah. 1992. Yeah. Uh, Walk the Dinosaur. Uh, Torok. Torok. Yeah. Um, um, a bit later. The Flintstones live-action movie, which, you know, didn't, didn't exceed as much at the box office as people thought it would compared to The Lion King, which I think demolished it, but... There were certainly dinosaurs in the air, but I do think Jurassic Park is... The point where, like, it did spawn a lot of, like, imitators trying to ride the train. Yeah. But um, it was definitely just in the air in general. Yeah, and, and as the 90s wore on, you know, you would see less and less dinosaur stuff because it kind of just fell out of being, like, the hot thing at the moment. So while Dinosaur Planet wasn't really, like, plugged in as far as that goes, I I would argue that it did really tie into the the mysticism of of fantasy in space which you know the star wars prequels were the big thing at the this time you know 1999 into 2000 so it was kind of like rare's take on that so dinosaur dressing aside it was kind of hitting at this moment where that was a popular notion of ooh, like fantasy but in space and, you know, that's what Dinosaur Planet promised to be, because, you know, aside from it being what we viewed as a tricky spinoff, it was filling this new genre niche within the DKU. You know, I've always said that Donkey Kong is sort of this rollicking, old-timey serial adventure, sort of like Indiana Jones, you know, a, a National Geographic special that you can sort of take part in and explore exotic locales, ancient temples. And uh, Banjo-Kazooie is more of a fractured fairy tale, sort of a Brothers Grimm by way of late 90s, uh, just uh, cynical culture. And then Conquer was ultimately uh, a riff on Western animation. So Dinosaur Planet would sort of be this whole new vibe of fantasy in the sci-fi world with you know mystics and wizards and magic and yeah it, it was just something completely fresh than we were getting from the rest of the DKU and it you know would sort of take itself a little bit more seriously where Donkey Kong and Banjo and Conquer all acknowledge that they're video game characters and sort of put a lampshade on everything and take the piss out of everything and don't they don't let really many serious moments land dinosaur planet would play it straight and just be uh fantasy sci-fi which i i think really excited a lot of the dk vine staff who were going through that you know growing up phase of being a teenager and they they wanted you know, more adult fare, I guess, to say like, hey, you know, what I'm into isn't just kitty. We've also got this isn't just for kids over here. And not to say, as we learned, like Dinosaur Planet didn't have like 
plenty of humor in it, but it's doesn't it's not really something that's conveyed in screenshots in a magazine right, or right. online. It's funny though, Cameron, because as the hype for Dinosaur Planet started and we started to see the characters, uh, sketches of the characters, and then eventually screenshots. Comparisons were starting to be made. And, and often during this time period, comparisons would be made between what Rare was doing and what Nintendo had done. You couldn't help it. It, it was it was just something that people did. Yeah, it was, it was generally like understood like Rare would... Rare would release a game, and the comparisons would immediately be made to something Nintendo had released, like, not long prior. And often often it was a pretty justified comparison, because, like, we learned that very much was the case for Banjo-Kazooie. They, Mario 64 came out and completely overturned the table on that game's design. Yeah, but the way people framed it was, oh, this game is just a clone of that game. Clone was a word that was used frequently in those days. Like, oh, you know, Banjo-Kazooie doesn't have its own merits. It's just Super Mario 64 with a bear and a bird. A clone was also something that I feel like got a lot of use in the, the 90s and early 2000s in a time where, um, like, words that, that defined genres hadn't really cemented themselves. Yeah. Like, you still had, like, oh, it's a first... No, it's not a first-person shooter. It's a Doom clone. Yeah, I, I don't even know, like, if terms like Metroidvania were in use then, or, you know, you 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 would just use, it's a blank clone, it's a blank clone. Like, we didn't have structured genres that maybe one game originated or, or spawned all these other And, games, like, even, but- even Metroidvania is kind of this weird artifact of, like, that was coined to describe a specific type of Castlevania game. Yeah. Because, like, there are the Castlevanias where... But there are, you know, the ones pre, um, the ones like pre-search action style, and the ones after that, and I think yeah. it just kind of took a foothold. Um, but yeah, there's, <laughs> I, I don't know right. if we like it, there was no way to describe. I think what Dinosaur Planet was in these days, other than like Zelda, like. Well, that that's the thing because. It it was being bandied about as a you know rarest take on a Zelda like game, especially in light of uh, Ocarina of Time, and and the still as to be released Majora's Mask, and that's all well and good. But comparisons were being made as far as art direction goes to another Nintendo franchise that at the time seemed to have nothing to do with Dinosaur Planet. Of course, I'm referring to Star Fox. Because, because I remember, I, I was there, people were saying way back, Saber looks like Fox McCloud. And I didn't really see it. I was like, no, like, Saber's this cat dude. You know, Saber's this, like, cat humanoid. It doesn't even look like a fox. Like, maybe, you, if you squint, you could say, yeah, they would fit right at home in a Star Fox game. If it's a big hair, uh, big-headed furry animal who walking on two legs who you know also has like a similar color scheme yeah yeah you, you had people it's it's less prominent these days i mean you still run into it but but back then there was this i think desperate desire not to be seen as well i'm not a furry right I, I, this like let, let, let let's uh let's assign like uh 
I don't feel like that was really in the zeitgeist. I, I think it was around the time of Star Fox Adventures release. I don't know if it, it was. I mean, around the time of Dinosaur Planet, I don't think it yeah, really was. Yeah, but I mean, that's, that's, that's only, you know, uh, two years. I think, I think uh, Star Fox Adventures activated a lot of people, <laughs> is what I would say. <laughs> it, 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 it might have awakened some, uh, some sensations and some people and, and some desires they didn't know they had buried deep within them. But I mean, I, I think while today, you know, people, at least, you know, here at DK Mine, we are a lot more broadly accepting of whatever people are into. So long as you're not hurting anybody. Yeah. If you're into that, that's awesome. But there, there was this desire not to be seen as that. And I, I remember like, even back then, like with this very like chaste version of Crystal and Dinosaur Planet, people were just like, try. I don't know. I I don't know what it was, but it was just there was just something there. Like, eh. but there was this comparison being made with Star Fox, and I didn't really see it. You know, I I thought it was like it's whatever. Yeah, they both take place nebulously in space, although most of this game takes place seems to take place on an alien planet. So. They're not really traveling through space, so I think you're just kind of grasping a straw as trying to create this connection uh, of rare ripping off Nintendo that isn't really there. And that's all well and good, and I, I would stand by that viewpoint, but apparently somebody at Nintendo did think that uh, that there was some sort of visual similarity between Dinosaur Planet and Star Fox, and not just somebody at Nintendo, Shigeru Miyamoto himself... <laughs> noted the comparison publicly as early as E3 2000, where the game was, you know, shown off. And this was still the N64 version of Dinosaur Planet, keep in mind. Um, but uh, th this is at least publicly where the idea to turn the game into a Star Fox game apparently started to take shape. So according to an interview with IGN at E3 2000, Miyamoto had this to say about Dinosaur Planet. It looks really nice, doesn't it? I wish they would use Star Fox characters so that they could use the title Star Fox Adventures, he said jokingly. Maybe I should call the team and talk about it. So, you know, after the fact, it was like, all right, what's up? Well, what was up at E3 2000? Is this... A situation like E397 where Rare shows off Pro-Am 64 behind the scenes to Nintendo and then converse conversations start to take place about turning it into Diddy Kong Racing. Was this happening to Dinosaur Planet then or was it earlier? So um, kind of seems uh, pretty definitive at this point that um, this was like a winking like nudge nudge comment. Uh -huh. um, it seems like this might have been in the works for a while, especially um, given the um, the the date of the Dinosaur Planet ROM that uh, leaked. There were, in 2002, there was an interview conducted with the Takaya Imamura, um, who was kind of a really large guiding hand behind the scenes for Star Fox, it turns out. Um, uh, when he was with Nintendo, um, he left Nintendo just within the last few years. And uh, some years prior, um, he, along with uh, a programmer, uh, I apologize if I mangle this name, uh, 
Kazuaki Morita. Um, they were in talks about a wanting to one wanting to do a sequel to Star Fox 64. Um, Immerer spe- specifically had a lot of attachment to Star Fox's like characters and world, and I think like. It kind of phrased this as like he specifically went to Miyamoto and was like, "Hey, let let me let me do this. I wanna I wanna take charge on the next one." Um, and Miyamoto suggested, you know, instead of a shooter, what if you made an adventure style game? Mm-hmm. Um, so there was like completely unrelated to Dinosaur Planet. There was internal interest at Nintendo to make an on-foot Star Fox game. And uh, according to Immer, the initial concept, like, they were kicking around was a, like, a third-person on-foot shooter, quote, where you'd get to mow down tons of enemies. Um, Fox would have a gun, um, uh, his blaster, rather than the staff at this point. Um, But um, as they were like considering whether or not to move forward with this project um like things were gearing up for the GameCube at this point um their the their prospective internal team at Nintendo to work on this um Star Fox sequel was being pulled away to their higher priority projects like um Mario and Zelda and you know Dinosaur Planet's development was taking had gotten so long in the tooth at this point that, like, the N64 is about to be out of the conversation. As, as impressive as Dinosaur Planet looks, like, the things are moving on to the GameCube. So, um, you know, again, according to this interview, shortly after um, things wrapped on Majora's Mask, Miyamoto, um, in the, his role as producer, um, came to them and suggested that they migrate both projects over to the GameCube and combine them. Mm, yeah. So, yeah, Miyamoto was just being obviously cheeky <laughs> in that interview at E3 2000. And, you know, we, at the time, when we saw that interview, we thought he was just being a jackass. Like, like we, we had zero, like, good faith readings of that because we thought he was just being dismissive. And we said, oh, it looks like Star Fox, those hacks at Rare. Uh, this it, is also just, like, how a bunch of Nintendo interviews in general go, where it'll be yeah. like, somebody says something, laughs. Right. And, and you don't get any nuance in these text interviews. How much pain did IGN cause us throughout the 2000s by linking to or posting interviews stripped of context or just completely mistranslated and and put all these notions in our head of like this sinister machinations at Nintendo towards everything we loved which wasn't the case at all and um you know the the stampers were clearly on board with this idea of making it Star Fox Adventures because hey you know as dinosaur planet you know, they might sell copies, you know, they, they, they might move that game. But if you attach it to a known IP, all of a sudden their chance for success of chance of selling over a million copies dramatically ticks up. And and uh, it, the the ROM we got was, for this was uh, dated December 1st of 2000. So it seems like work started pretty immediately on this con- conversion. Yeah. 
Yeah, and and like even if they were in talks before E three happened, obviously they weren't ready to show off any like Star Fox Adventures game version of Dinosaur Planet at E three. So they just showed off Dinosaur Planet as it currently existed, but this was already you know in in the works. Yeah, again, and- like like did the talks start at that E three? Like I guess they could have, but it, I get the impression that this was being kicked around. Especially if they if they were doing this right after Majora's Mask wrapped, yeah. Like it, it, the phrasing is ambiguous. It's like after after work on Majora's Mask ended, which would have been well in advance of it releasing, which was April of that year. But bottom line, like no, this wasn't just like a light bulb went out and went off in the middle of this interview. No, no, but that's <laughs> certainly how, especially like. So, so for the rest of 2000, we did not know what was happening behind the scenes and that it was actually becoming Star Fox Adventures. We just thought Miyamoto was casting Shade uh, on Rare and the Dinosaur play in the team, which we weren't happy about. But, <laughs> you know, we, we, we didn't know that it was in the works and that, you know, Rare was enthusiastically uh, embracing us. At least the Stampers were. I'm sure there were people on the Dinosaur Planet team who initially weren't happy about having to change their game and their ideas for it. I mean, like, taking a step back, this is just repeating what they did with Diddy Kong Racing. Exactly, yeah. Like, five, not, like, five like on years, paper. Yeah, five years later, and uh, they change uh, an, another game they had in the works. And there weren't, you know, there were people in the Diddy Kong Racing team who weren't happy about it being changed from Pro-Am 64 to Diddy Kong Racing. I think Kev Bayless has said he didn't care because he created Diddy Kong and it was more spotlight for him, so whatever. Dinosaur Planet has the rather significant uh, uh, factor Diddy Kong Racing didn't in that it's a much more narrative-focused game. Right, so they did have to excise quite a bit and make sure it was integrated into the world of Star Fox and and I you know we'll we'll get into it when we're actually talking about the game, but I think it was really creative and clever everything they did to bring it in line with Star Fox while retaining that still that re- retaining this essential elements of Dinosaur Planet, losing a few good things absolutely, but you can definitely like spot the the threads where like they had to kind of you know, ram these two things together, but also yeah. it, it's simultaneously a lot more organic than it should really have, have ever been. Sure. Absolutely. You know, as I said, I don't mourn Dinosaur Planet, really, especially after seeing the ROM and seeing how close things did actually hue. But, you know, if there were hurt feelings at the time, I'm sure the promise of a bigger payout when, you know, the game is a Star Fox game soothed any hurt egos or... Truth be told, I'm kind of mourning this uh, never-existed Star Fox third-person shooter. <laughs> yeah, it sounds very similar, actually, <laughs> to Star Fox Assault from Namco, which, of course, would follow Adventures, um, just at least as far as the, the general, more arcade-style action Whereas Star Fox Adventures was, is, you know, more of a Zelda-like game. But, yeah, um, we, we didn't hear anything about this publicly until March of 2001. And that is when the French website Consoles France first reported... Nice on- name. <laughs> 
<laughs> first reported on the claim that it had been renamed Star Fox Adventures, at least according to insiders at Nintendo of Europe. Which, wow, what? how leaky were they at Nintendo of Europe at this time? Where they just plainly say, hey, hey, you know that Dinosaur Planet game is becoming Star Fox Adventures. Why don't you report on that on your little website? Jesus Christ. Uh, like, you don't see this kind of leak often with Nintendo, really. Like, we get leaks here or there, you know, but often it's not just this complete picture like, hey, it's going to be called this. You fucks. It's only worse in the modern day because even if there is something like that, it's always peppered with stuff that just completely made up. Yeah. So I remember when this story broke, and of course, IGN picked up this story as they often did and i mean to this day they ign will run stories that uh like smaller websites will run and then you know oftentimes not even link to the website in general uh we, we've been the recipient of that treatment yeah yeah sometimes they'll uh, report based on an angry forum post uh quoting something that a small website did yes yes so I, I remember, like, we read this on IGN, of course, because we weren't regular avid readers of Consoles France. And I remember the reaction was one of terror, one of anger, primarily at Shigeru Miyamoto, because he was the one who first uh, publicly uh, broached this idea. And also, you know, a bit of the same denialism that we would face with the rare buyout rumors a year later. I, re I remember thinking like, oh, it might not happen. That might not be the case. This might be made up. It might it might be a fake rumor. Uh, don't worry about it. And then there was also like, how dare Shigeru Miyamoto? Look, the anger we felt in Miyamoto at this time was unjustified and ugly. But... I, I think back to the infamous Photoshop of him dressed as the Grim Reaper. <laughs> Just. I, I know it's in such bad taste, but he looks like he's so happy to be in that Grim Reaper costume. I know. Like, if, if that was the Reaper that came for me when my time on this planet is up, you know, I, I would be okay with that. I'd be like, yeah, let's go, man. That's awesome. This is awesome. <laughs> no, but, it, you know, I think the problem was we did not have context for this and you know from the outside looking in and especially our our young angry blood we especially some dk vine editors were super excited about dinosaur planet as it had been introduced to us as it had been laid out like the problem is we are we had already been given a taste of what to expect similar to how we would be given a taste of donkey kong racing at E3 2001. And the, from what we understood from this rumor in March of 2001, it was that it was taking this original rare IP, one that spun out of Diddy Kong Racing, the holiest of the holies, and it was sacrificing it for a Nintendo IP. The anger didn't really uh, pass for many in our community for many years, even after Star Fox Adventures was released, even after the buyout, there are still people today who cannot get over losing Dinosaur Planet. 
I'm not one of them. I think I prefer Star Fox Adventures gun to my head, but I get it. I, I do get it, especially because if we knew nothing about Dinosaur Planet before Star Fox Adventures was revealed, I think uh, people would have been a lot more receptive. But the problem is you get them fantasizing, you get them speculating, you get them dreaming about this game with all of these characters in this new corner of the universe. And you're going to be so emotionally invested in that. And then to hear, oh, it's becoming a Star Fox game. that That's just taking a hammer to everything. It, it's defacing the Mona Lisa. It's, bas- it's, it's a crime against art. And, uh, you know, I, I understand the anger. I'm not proud of it. I'm not trying to justify it. But it existed. It was there. And knowing the context we know now, um, hell, even knowing the context we knew in 2002, I, I think the anger should have gone away. But you know, it obviously didn't, especially the buyout didn't help matters because the buyout created this stark, all of a sudden, like, you're on this side or you're on that side. Uh, are you going to blame Rare or are you going to blame Nintendo? And if you're blaming Nintendo, then you're blaming them for everything. You're blaming them for ruining Dinosaur Planet. You're blaming them for this. You're blaming them for that. So it, it was just a congruence of events and timing that made this as contentious as it was for as long as it was in the community. With, with the benefit of hon- hindsight, like I'd distill my opinion to at least a game came out. Yeah, exactly. It's not Donkey Kong Racing, where we just didn't get anything out of it, including Saberman Stampede. And we, we got a complete game that was very fun, in my opinion, and it was beautiful. It was gorgeous. And it made me care about Star Fox in a way that I would never care about Star Fox if I didn't have this game. So do I mourn Dinosaur Planet? Not really. Do I think, oh, but if Dinosaur Planet had come out exactly as intended, then Rare would have retained all of the intellectual property for it. Yeah, but that doesn't mean we would have gotten anything for it. Like, would we have really gotten a Dinosaur Planet 2? We might see a ship set in Sea of Thieves. We might see references here or there. I don't know if we would have gotten a sequel during the Xbox years. I, I lament some of the the lost potential of Dinosaur Planet and the theoretical like Star Fox game that could have existed or honestly probably would have just been canceled outright for lack of anybody to work on it. Sure. Um, but I don't resent what we got. I love what we got. Yeah. I'm very think- happy with a lot of the ingredients that make up what we got that we wouldn't have gotten for not these circumstances. I think my biggest regret honestly is that there was no time because it, it was published the day before the buyout was announced so i think that's also yeah that's that's something that we like we know so much got ripped out of dinosaur planet um prior to the you know the the final version of star fox adventures but how much of that can you attribute to converting the game to a star fox game and how much of it can you attribute to just the ticking clock yeah yeah but you know because of that ticking clock I think that my biggest regret is not that we lost out on Dinosaur Planet as originally envisioned, which, and originally envisioned, it was a timber game, which would have been really cool, but we never even, you know, saw a whiff of that. I think that my biggest regret is that Rare never had the years, the time, 
to do a sequel, to do a second Star Fox Adventures and continue to develop things on their terms. Um, it's not Dinosaur Planet that I'm missing out on. It's the Star Fox Adventures brand that was never allowed to grow. Because at the time when they announced Star Fox Adventures, that it was kind of our thinking that, okay, this is like Donkey Kong Country was rare getting their hands on a Nintendo IP. Star Fox Adventures will be their brand, their series to do with as they will and to develop and evolve their corner of the Star Fox world. So that's my biggest regret. It's, it's not so much Dinosaur Planet. It did set up this, like, weird paradigm of, like, well, okay, we've completely de- changed the definition of what a Star Fox game is forever. Well, we out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and that was kind of this weird place. It did put the Star Fox franchise in, ultimately. I think for the better, many Star Fox fans would argue Oh, yeah, worst, I... But... It, it, it... The... It's created such an interesting new paradigm for Star Fox that I wouldn't have it any other way. So let's talk about Star Fox just a little bit, Cameron. We've talked about Timber and and Saber, but let's talk about Fox McCloud. Let's talk about Star Fox and Star Fox 64 and our relation with both before Star Fox Adventures. So Star Fox, uh, known as Starwing, in PAL territories. God, I don't know how people in PAL territories deal with this because it's been known as so many things. Um, and I, I don't know the, the rights issues, why that is the case. Um, why, why it's been one thing for one game, one thing for another game. Yeah, I'm to, under, I'm to understand like it's like conflicting existing trademarks in Europe that they just wanted to sidestep entirely. I know Star Fox is a Marvel character played by Harry Styles, but um, anyway, Star Fox was released here in North America in March of 1993, and for about a year and a half, some change, I thought it was the most impressive damned game I had ever seen. I, I, I was blown away when I saw the commercial advertising, and I thought my brain was playing tricks on me. I couldn't understand how a game could look like that, especially a game on a Super Nintendo. What what was I seeing? It was like the 3D was popping out of my screen. And I had to try it. I was all about Star Fox. I was like, is this the game I've been waiting my entire life for? And uh, so I finally rented it at Blockbuster, as our old-timey selves used to have to do. And... Guy was probably not after release. It was definitely in that spring that I rented Star Fox Adventures because I remember the trees were budding when I uh, was being driven home with the game case and was reading the instruction manual and and reading about the Lilat system and and everything and put in the Super Nintendo, played the first mission and could not get into it for the life of me. I wanted to love it so badly and everything felt just i don't know flat lifeless i i i think i can go back to it now and enjoy it but and i had friends uh contemporary friends who had rented it and you know they got to andros or at least the big polygonal face man who's supposed to be on andros 
But for me, I think it was the on-rails shooty gameplay just didn't resonate with me at the time. And the game's graphics, while incredibly impressive with that Super FX chip and, and just something unlike anything we'd ever seen up until that point, it just made me feel cold and afraid. There was a lack of warmth in, in the game world that I felt, and it just put me off of it. And it was a shame because I really wanted to like it. I I wish this is the part where I could like step in and be the other side of this coin and say that like I adored Star Fox Super Nintendo and lo- loved everything about it but I I'll be honest uh, Star Fox Super Nintendo for whatever reason maybe because I got into the, like gaming in general so late in the Super Nintendo's life like it just Star Fox Super Nintendo missed me completely like not on my radar at all, maybe save for like some of the like the the pack in flyer you would get with later Super Nintendo releases that had the giant Star Fox poster, uh-huh. um, which didn't really tell you anything about the game. It just looked really ni- nice. Yeah. Um. So, but Star Fox sixty four that was that was my exposure to Star Fox, and I instantly fell in love with that oh yeah so star fox 64 known as lilat wars in pal territories uh that that was awesome i i'm not gonna lie i rented it i got it for christmas later that year uh, 1997 i have beat it multiple times across its multiple paths both alone and playing with friends Everything about that game clicked in a way that Star Fox for the Super Nintendo could not with me. Um, and I think a large part of it was the voice acting, if I'm honest. Oh, ab- absolutely. I think that Star Fox 64 was the first game I had ever seen that had extensive voice acting and eventually, essentially like felt like, oh, like I'm playing a movie. Yeah, I I would think that aside from Super Mario 64 and maybe Ocarina of Time, it's probably the non-rare game I have played the most on the N64. It's one of the most like successful I at least from my experience like um attempts Nintendo has taken at a like score attack kind of game where you're designed to replay a relatively short game over and over and over again and do a little bit better each time or mm. take different paths. Like the, the replay value is not in like, it's not an 80 hour game with side missions. It's a, like the game doesn't save. And I remember that being a really big sticking point with me back in the day, but now I understand it's, Oh yeah, you can do this campaign in, a few hours or less once you're practiced enough with it. And it never felt that boring to just restart it. Like, oh, yeah, I'm taking this game to my friend's house. Oh, we have to play the first mission again. Oh, well, which path are we going to take? I, I cannot believe it. It's such a like feather in Star Fox 64's cap that there is so much talking in this game, and I am resentful of none of it. Like, I, these lines are in my head... Like, I, I've memorized basically every line in this game's script, and it's not for being irritated with it. It's because all of it is charming. Yeah, I, I think the only line that irritates me is do a barrel roll, and that's just because it, it became one of those memes that even Nintendo adopted and, and used it 
you know, in promotion for Star Fox 64 3D. And, and it's like, that's not even the, the best line in that mission it's it's like there there are so many better lines it's not even the best it's not the best line from peppy either no. he's got some really good ones yeah the, the, the game is so effortlessly quotable and that's what you're gonna get hung up on all right but i you know star fox 64 aside from the voice acting the gameplay was crisp the worlds were colorful and vibrant and I feel like the gameplay definitely made it really hard for me to go back to Star Fox SNES when I eventually did, because um, Star Fox SNES, owing to when it came out, is a very like choppy game. Uh-huh. Star Fox 64 is a very smooth experience. Yeah, yeah. And I would say that is probably the closest at least in that era that Nintendo and Nintendo EAD ever came to capturing the spirit of rare in both world building and humor. It feels very much like a rare game at times. Uh, Certainly of its, of the time, I think there's an argument to be made like nowadays, like Splatoon fills that. That, That's Um, why, that's why I couched it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. But, um, Certainly, I think I think a sizable part of that is just how much of Star Fox in concept is rooted in appreciation of Western media, because like it's the thing everybody knows about Star Fox is it's like heavily drawing from Thunderbirds. Yeah. And a little bit of Top Gun in there, too. I and like especially in in Star Fox 64, it's, you know, it's pulling from a lot of media and sometimes extremely blatantly like i mean there's just a level that is an independence day parody right right and yeah i mean the the cast is great too like i i would say fox mcleod is a bit one note in it he's just the bland hero you know who wants to do right by his dead daddy but, but that's fine because he's you and you're not going to talk very much right the personalities of the rest of team star fox and then oh my god the shit eating villains it, more than made up for any deficiencies in Fox Fox's character. Uh, I mean, Pigma. Oh, like I think of Pigma. I think of the the train conductor. Yeah, just like completely incidental guys, like the forever train conductor yeah. or the the pirate on Zonus. Right. <laughs> just they're they're all so memorable and evil like like pigma is just i think the darkest that nintendo ever gets as far as the humor like like holy he, shit like one of the most despicable N- nintendo characters yeah. ever but he's just so like gloriously wear like like he's wearing that black hat and loves every second of it and, and that's that's what makes the game so great to me because it's legitimately one of the only Nintendo games that makes me bust out laughing because it catches me off guard. I'm not expecting them to go to the places they do in the dialogue. I'm like, Oh, what? Uh, and that's the type of thing that rare would usually do with me. But this is a Nintendo game through and through Nintendo EAD even like, Holy crap. I vividly recall, um, while playing it, because uh, I, you know, played it quite a bit 
when I rented it and played it even more after I got it for Christmas in 97. You know, once I'd beaten Diddy Kong Racing, went back to Star Fox 64. And I, I remember talking with my childhood friend, Elliot, who, you know, I journeyed through every DKU game of that era with. I think up through Conqueror's Bad Fur Day, we played together. But I, I remember talking about Star Fox with him, about how much fun it would be to get a sequel where you could do missions on foot. And, you know, I, I guess that was just, I mean, that was a common thing that was being bandied about as far as Star Fox goes during that time. Like, wouldn't it be great if we would get another game, but you could get out of your vehicle and run around as the characters? I, I feel like that's like revisionist history that hit after Star Fox Adventures that like people didn't want an unfoot Star Fox game. Because yeah, it was. They it absolutely was. did. It, they absolutely I mean, did. From the fans to Nintendo themselves, they were all talk. We were all talking about it as early as Star Fox sixty four's like multiplayer. Because there was a after a pretty arduous unlock process, um, you could have like death matches between characters on foot. Yeah. So if you ever hear anybody saying nobody wanted. Uh, Star Fox game out of the vehicle. You tell them to shut their fucking mouth. It, it is just complete revisionist history. They may have personally never wanted it. I I would never say that everybody wanted it, but it no, because just... like no no fandom is a hive mind. Everybody is an is an individual with different interests and wants. Yeah, but you know I I I really wanted it because I was intrigued by the characters and I was like it would be so much fun to actually get to control them. And and I, I feel like that's common in any game where you're controlling a character, but you're mostly seeing a vehicle. Right. Like, how many people have said, oh, they should make another F-Zero and Captain Falcon should be a bounty hunter in, like, a an open world, like, GTA-style situation? I, th- I think having the character in Super Smash Brothers also helps, like, separate him, makes him a more actualized thing to people than than just this like uh icon in in the the F0 you know character select even though like Imamura gave a lot of these characters really fun backstories not just Captain Falcon right. I'd say like Captain Falcon's like the Mario of F0 you need you dig a little bit deeper you're going to find some really fun ridiculous things unfortunately you know uh Sakurai and his team never dug deeper for F0 in Smash because the Kingmaker of Spoken, Cameron, and, and people only know Captain Falcon. But anyway. Yeah. Um, um, you know, it, it's funny because I remember like that very year after Diddy Kong Racing came out, or after Mario Kart 64 came out, earlier that year after Mario Kart 64 came out, I said, you know, maybe Diddy Kong will be playable in the next Mario Kart game. I like made that wish. So I seem to have had the ability to both make the distant future come true but also fundamentally alter something that Rare already had in development. So when I, when I said, hey, I would love if the next Star Fox game you could run around as Fox McCloud, little did I know that that would come true both ways, both in something Rare was going to do and in the, the I guess, proper follow-up to Star Fox 64, if you consider Star Fox Assault that. Real, uh, real prosthetic monkey's paw you got there. <laughs> So then, of course, after the rumors, we did have the official announcement that Dinosaur Planet would become Star Fox Adventures, colon, Dinosaur Planet. And, you know, we we talked a little bit about this uh, on our E3 2001 episode we did last season, Cameron. But the moment that Tricky 
was mentioned. The, the first time we saw, I think it was a trailer of Star Fox Adventures Dinosaur Planet. And and they mentioned Prince Tricky. Uh, it, it, it kind of calmed down a lot of jangle nerves. It was like, all right, we're, we're, we're more on board with this idea than we were because we still have that connection. Tricky is still in it. So we, we can kind of accept that it's becoming a Star Fox game. There was still some bitterness, some resentment that we'd be losing out on the extended lore that we'd seen, like Randorn and, and, and all the other bits. Um, but knowing that it would still be DKU and still follow the same broad beats, even if it was now a sequel to Star Fox 64, I think that was the spoonful of sugar that we needed to make the medicine go down. Like, had they changed Tricky's name to anything, that would have just been the I'm going to set myself on fire stage of the grieving process. Yeah, it's also just the, he's the canary in the coal mine uh, uh, The without a I realize I'm going to invoke some banjo tui like, <laughs> stuff there, but um, he's sort of the canary in the coal mine of like, oh, they're not changing that much about this if they didn't change the dinosaur sidekick. And it was also our first view of the game on GameCube. We'd see nothing but, you know, the N64 version iteration of the game up until this point. So seeing it on GameCube in that lush, vibrant, just glorious graphics like that that was just it it really did help make that dividing line all the sharper like okay dinosaur planet looked cool this looks absolutely beautiful breathtaking even it was also the biggest e3 the fandom ever had arguably like so any anger that was still there from it became it becoming star fox adventures from you know miyamoto you know ruining rares project uh we got donkey kong racing diddy kong pilot coconut crackers grunty's revenge saber wolf even so you know we we were fine that e3 like it was just like all right we still we still have star fox adventures it's still dinosaur planet i'm i'm sure we'll get at least two of these games <laughs> <laughs> i'm just saying it helped that process of acceptance uh, it, it helped it along quite a bit, and so uh, thankfully, you know, thankfully it was just a great E3 all around, regardless of what would happen a year or so later. And of course, what happened a year or so later was the rumors of the buyout and the buyout itself. And this is where I point people to the last episode of the conversation, 20 years of the rare buyout. So get caught up there if you haven't. So... There had become sort of this uh, this pall, this this glumness, this um, sort of black and white hellscape we suddenly found ourselves in. Once it became clear that Nintendo wasn't going to buy Rare, and that Rare was probably packing up and looking for greener pastures, because we knew that whatever potential that Star Fox Adventures had as a series, as a brand... As, as this uh, sub-series within Star Fox itself, was now kaput. It, it was going to not be a bold new direction that would allow Rare to build their own pocket of the Star Fox IP with its own mythology and repeating characters and, and uh, evolving narrative. Star Fox Adventures would be a one-and-done 
affair, a narrative dead end for both Star Fox and the dinosaur planet mythology, which, of course, didn't turn out to be the case ultimately. But at the time, we had no way of knowing what was to come. I feel like what especially like got the imagination running wild was that when when this title change was officially revealed first, it wasn't just Star Fox Ad- Adventures, it was Star Fox Adventures subtitle Dinosaur Planet, yep. which implies, you know, this is a new sub-brand and we might need to um, differentiate future titles with these specific subtitles. Yeah, the game wasn't called Star Fox Adventure. It was Star Fox Adventures, colon, Dinosaur Planet, suggesting many more possible Star Fox Adventures to come. Which is why we, like, to this day, joke about Star Fox Adventures Walrus World. Right. If they right. just went down the line of Diddy Kong Racing bosses. Octo- Octopi Planet, which I think grammatically it should be Octopus Planet, but, you know. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, you know... Uh, Star Fox Adventures, Dragon Rock. Well, I guess that's... Anyway, so <laughs> uh, it, it made it harder. What really, really like felt like uh, tooth extraction in, in pain was that they did remove that subtitle. We, we lost Dinosaur Planet completely, and then they changed the logo to just Star Fox Adventures, which just felt like the nail in the coffin. Like, okay, this is it end of the road for both this potential dinosaur planet brand and also for rare with nintendo and you know i i'm of course speaking from the perspective of being a rare diehard cameron because rare diehards were having a tough time when the buyout was rumored when the it was clear that star fox adventures probably wasn't going to get a follow-up and uh, as as our hopes and dreams slowly faded away, we were upset about the whole situation, upset at Nintendo, upset at whatever. But we have to discuss the other side of that. How incensed many Nintendo purists were about Star Fox Adventures. Uh, it seems like everybody had a had some sort of bone to pick with this game. No matter where you found yourself on the dividing line of the conflict. So, you know, I I can only speak from secondhand knowledge of this because I I wasn't certainly in this camp. But I, I would say that the angst towards this game from the more Nintendo loyalist side of things was twofold, really. One, before we even get into the buyout... I think Rare was already being viewed with a little bit of suspicion by by Nintendo purists because they did have this sort of cult of Rare spring up by the late 1990s. You know, include myself as part of that, DK Vine and, you know, everything contemporary to it. But we, we were definitely, like, all about Rare. And this notion, this idea, however true it was, that Nintendo maybe being outdone in some ways on their own system, on their own consoles. It's unacceptable. Even if, you know, Rare was a partner at the time of Nintendo, if Nintendo did own 49% of a stake in the studio and were making games exclusively for Nintendo, 
on their systems. That didn't matter uh, because online discourse in the early 2000s meant we had to have flame wars. We, we, we had to fight about something and we didn't really you know, fight about politics in those days. So we're going to fight about stupid bullshit that didn't matter because we were all on the same side. Um, yeah, there were, there were, there were, there were some flame wars between Nintendo and rare fans and, you know, relations between the two were already breaking down before we even had any inkling that the buyout might be a thing in the future. And so here we have, first of all, dinosaur planet. Uh, now rare's trying to take on Zelda. Fuck that. Uh, and, and wait, now they want to make a Star Fox game that isn't Star Fox 64 2? Well, f- double fuck that. We hate everything about this. So, uh, number two, once the buyout was in the air, once it was starting to be rumored about, if not outright confirmed, uh, those same fans were viewing Rare as out and out traitors. And again, listen to the last episode to understand why that is. A hilarious misunderstanding of the situation. It wasn't like that at all, but that's how people definitely viewed it at the time, lacking any context, any nuance to the situation. So all of a sudden, like 2002, you started to see a lot of historical revisionism going on about everything Rare had done for Nintendo all of these blockbuster games they had made that you could rent at Blockbuster. And it was like day and night. It was like all of a sudden everything changed. And suddenly the Donkey Kong Country trilogy was overrated trash, something that people only liked for the technically impressive, for the time, graphics and the sound. But it fell dramatically short of the gameplay brilliance of the Super Mario Brothers games, aside from Super Mario Brothers 2, which of course wasn't a real Mario game. And Diddy Kong's racing, Diddy Kong Racing's gameplay, it wasn't as fun as Mario Kart 64. Oh yeah, it did that well, but as a racer, it just wasn't as good. Oh, Mario Kart 64 was so much fun. Then that there was oh, a lot of like not defining like why there yeah. was anything wrong with these games. Yeah, it, or but but they they had to find something to pick at. Or in it, the or in the case of like, well, we'll we'll get to it after Banjo Kazooie, I guess, but. Like, like we already established, like, Banjo-Kazooie already, like, was in a, like, like, which is better, Super Mario 64, Banjo-Kazooie debate, but... Right. Um, even, even when it came out, uh, Donkey, Donkey Kong 64 was getting flack from people for the sheer overload of stuff to collect in it. Which, granted, like, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying all criticism of Rare was unwarranted in this era, because, yeah. Oh, no, like, that is a valid criticism right. of Donkey Kong 64. The issue is, in in the aftermath of the buyout, that criticism got applied retroactively to everything Rare had ever made, and in some, like, pretty straw-graspy ways. And keep in mind, this wasn't just, like, Nintendo fans on Nintendo forums on the internet. This was magazines like um, Game Informer and, and, and other publications. This this was Nintendo's uh, UK magazine. You just saw, like, all this vitriol out of nowhere for Donkey Kong Country. 
And it's like, what? Where is this coming from? Other than, oh, we know where it's coming from. It's because we have to find a reason to be okay with Rare no longer being a part of Nintendo. So if we just pretend like we've never enjoyed any of their games, that will help get everybody through it. Uh, but yeah, Banjo. Or if we, or if we pretend everything that was ever good was because of some people who left. Oh yeah, yeah. So so Banjo Kazooie, you know, they they can't really pick apart at the gameplay of Banjo Kazooie. So what they do there is they say, well, it wasn't innovative. It was basically just copying Super Mario sixty four. So regardless of how much fun it was to play, it wasn't innovative. So uh, Nintendo wins. And yeah, as, as you already said, as as you alluded to. Uh, they couldn't really find anything to pick apart about GoldenEye because there wasn't really a direct comparison to anything Nintendo had done as far as GoldenEye goes. So uh, they smoothed that over by just saying, well, GoldenEye 007, yes, that was the one good game Rare made, but all those people left Rare, so that does not count. Not a Rare game. <laughs> yeah, so... <laughs> That that is where we suddenly found ourselves. This is keep in mind. This is what the discourse was before the buyout was even official. This was the run up to Star Fox Adventures. This is the world that DK Vine uh, was finding itself, even as you know we were kind of stepping away for a time to launch a web comic and and giving DK Vine into the hands of people on our forum. It it was like wow. Like I feel like everything has shifted pretty dramatically overnight and all of a sudden all these beloved games from the past eight years like the bulk of our childhood uh it was it was now trash it it was now being uh like labeled as never good and our entire lives were a lie well cool cool good time to step away from dk vine uh so yeah obviously star fox adventures was going to be garbage as well. Yeah, similarly to how we like described last episode, where um, or on the buyout episode, that Ghoulies kind of got stuck with um, uh, being sent out to die on the cross of being Rare's first Xbox game uh-huh. and not being Banjo Kazooie or Perfect Dark. Um, Star Fox Adventures was saddled with. This is Rare's final game on a Nintendo console, and there has to be something wrong with it to justify to ourselves that Nintendo was completely in the right to let them go. Yeah. This sucked, Cameron. Like, I remember how badly this sucked, and I didn't have the perspective to deal with it at the time because I hadn't lived through something like this. I I was still basically a teenager with a teenage brain. And I I didn't, you know, my, my brain wasn't fully developed yet. So I let it get to me. I did. I didn't really, you know, wrap up my entire identity as being a Rare fan, as being a fan of the DKU. But it meant a lot to me, for sure. So And a lot of the time I'll, like, think back on this and think, like, you know, when I was a kid, it probably wasn't anywhere near as bad as it felt at the time where, because, you, you know, you kind of... You you can kind of do this immature thing where you like wrap um your your self worth up in the things you like, and so an attack on them feels like an attack on you. Oh yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. Especially when you're um 
really not self-assured and you don't know your place in the world and you don't really know who you are yet. Um, that, that journey of self-discovery that we all go on and, and we really don't have figured out at 19 or however young you were at the time. So yeah, I mean, it, it definitely hurt. And of course I hadn't lived through this yet where something that I loved was suddenly out of, here's the word again, zeitgeist. And, you know, th this is before everything came back around again and there was nostalgia for the things that I loved and it was acceptable again. It was cool to like them again. And and we're going to celebrate the history of Rare and what they did for Nintendo. Uh, but we weren't there yet. So for all I knew, this was going to be the status quo for the rest of days. People were just going to hate everything that I loved. And it meant so much to me that I could never join them. I could never go to the dark side. So I was just going to be on the outside looking in. And so, yeah, it was in this environment that my infamous story of that GameStop manager arguing with me not to reserve Star Fox Adventures at the store that he managed took place. And I keep bringing this up every time... I have a chance to in the conversation because what the hell? <laughs> yeah, when when I, when I say that things probably weren't as bad as I remember them being in my head, this is the kind of thing that makes me think. Well, maybe maybe they were. Yeah, th th this this wasn't <laughs> just arguing with the troll on the insider forum or on DK Vine. This this was a real live encounter with somebody who should have wanted my money, my $5 down to reserve Star Fox Adventures. And he was like, no, it's going to be garbage. Uh, Rare sucks, and it's not even a real Star Fox game, and uh, it's going to be a joke, and I'm not going to take your reservation. Wow, so, like, not even like just trying to talk you out of it, but just like no, would not do it. it. It eventually just ended with, yeah, no. And I was like... Wow. Yeah, so... Uh, I mean, it was for the best, Cameron, because I went to Circuit City, a.k.a. Red Best Buy, and I... A.k.a. Spirit Halloween. <laughs> right. Right. And I uh, I got their reservation bonus. They had the best Star Fox Adventures bonus here in uh, the U.S. It was reserved Star Fox Adventures at Circuit City and get the Star Fox Adventures Survival Kit. And if you'll excuse me, I need to bend over and pick it up because I have it right here with me to this day. Let me let me go grab it. Sorry, I had uh, Battletoad sunglasses on top of it. I had to move some things around. So here I have in my hands the Star Fox Adventures Survival Kit. It's a little bit sun-faded, not, not too bad. Uh, so it's got the... Uh, it's got Fox McCloud and... Um, Dracor behind him, and it's got the broken pieces of Saria behind both of them, and yeah, it's it's the Star Fox Adventure Survival Kit. It's got the little like red cross, like the Swedish. I I, I don't I don't know. Which I I think this was before they like clamped down on unauthorized use of that. Yeah, a lot it, more. But it's like med. It's a med kit, right? Um, and got the the original Rareware logo prominent on the box you got nintendo gamecube and the circuit city logo which is three things that no longer exist and uh <laughs> yeah on the back it says adventure survival kit con contents 
Power up with Fox Fuel as you defend Dinosaur Planet. Keep your mind at the game at all times, in quotes, with game tip toilet paper. Keep them out with your custom door hanger while you battle General Scales. While General Scales faints. So I'm going to open this up. I still have the entire contents in here. Uh, Sans the contents of the Fox Fuel, which I did drink. Uh, Probably would have eaten through the bottle at this point. uh, Because it is just Jones Soda. Jones is a... Oh my god, there's still... There's still some fox fuel in the bottom. It's swishing around in here. Oh my god, Cameron! I could taste fox fuel today if I wanted to. Twenty year old. It, it in all of my like eBay crawls because I missed out on this survival kit uh-huh. when it was new because I didn't buy Star Fox Adventures at a Circuit City. Um, like I have occasionally seen the survival kit turn up online. Like nah, I could, I could afford that. But the the fox fuel always puts me off because it's either. Either I'm buying a drink that definitely hasn't kept in 20 years or a empty bottle that somebody else drank out of. Yeah, so I'm just sniffing the top of the bottle right now, and it smells vaguely of vinegar. Um, You know, if I'm ever going to drink this little remnant of Fox Fuel, that should be on camera. So I'm going to save that for a future potential DK Vine event. But uh, yeah, it's what it's it's what all our streams are now. <laughs> Drinking sodas. That's true. Yeah, the Idaho crew just drank the mystery flavor of Baja Blast on their stream, which apparently just tastes like Baja Blast, but with a worst aftertaste. So yeah, Jones Soda. I think it was like, is Jones Soda still even around? I don't see it anymore. I'm not entirely sure. I thought it went away, but uh. No, their website's still active. Okay. I guess I just don't see it very much anymore. Well, yeah, because back in 2002, there wasn't a lot in the way of, like, craft drinks. Like, you would have Coke and Pepsi and RC, and then you would have the generic brands. But, you know, as as far as, like, this, like, indie drink company, uh, it, it wasn't really in vogue outside of probably some major cities. But Jones Soda was one of the first that was, like, this alternate soda brand and uh they had the green apple soda which i think was their big uh get because it was just completely unlike anything you would get from the major brands um didn't have caffeine in it but it tasted pretty good tasted like you know a little bit sour apple but um still crisp and that's what fox fuel was actually it was their green apple soda with a special label on it that said star fox adventures fox fuel and had fox crystal and general scales on it along with the gamecube and rare logo and um yeah it says fuel up with fox mcleod as you journey the first adventure outside of the r-wing starfighter cockpit battle your way to defeat general scales as you defend the world that is known as dinosaur planet trademark drink up and play hard www.nintendo.com so uh like full disclosure couple years after this i did religiously buy jones green apple soda just to get a taste of fox fuel Uh, eventually i stopped drinking it when i realized that the only reason to drink soda would be the caffeine hit and then eventually i pretty much gave up soda altogether when i realized i could just find caffeine through other resources and drink carbonated water 
But uh, yeah, I got the uh, the the door hanger in here. It says "Do not enter. Adventure in progress." This is a cheap ass door hanger. It's like cardboard and like very thin. And uh, but the 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 big selling point. Uh, oh, there's the Star Fox Adventures air freshener. Can't imagine that's cap. A lot of these things are very like disposable or have a short shelf life. Yeah, so this is uh, the the render of Fox holding Crystal Staff, and it says, A planet with fear needs a hero with none. And uh, I think Fox is plenty scared throughout it, but that was the tagline they used in the commercials. So, uh, but yeah, it's still sealed, and this is, uh, this actually, uh, this air freshener is by the company Boy Toy? Um, Boy Toy. Right, you'd think they would be marketing some other stuff, like, yeah, here's here's Crystal Staff, but anyway, um, yeah, so I, I could I could still rock this Star Fox Adventures air freshener, put it up in my car if I ever wanted, but can't imagine it still smells good. There's a lanyard, a Star Fox Adventures lanyard that you can, I don't know, switch out when you go to E3 and, and then, you know, represent Star Fox Adventures, but the piece of resistance, the... Jewel in the crown, of course, is the Star Fox Adventures toilet paper, Cameron. Star Fox Adventures game tips toilet paper. I just did a tweet about this the other week, and I, I put it in the Great Mighty Pooh plush's mouth. Uh, and and <laughs> it kind of took off a little bit because apparently people don't know this existed, that they actually gave away Star Fox Adventures toilet paper, an entire roll of it. I still have it sealed and it's plastic, but some of the game tips you got on here that I can see are um, drop and roll. A hard landing following a long fall will take a bite out of your energy meter. If you press the X button to roll as you make contact with the ground, you'll walk away undamaged. That's a pretty good tip to give to somebody just starting from the game. Uh, Shake and take. Dumble dang pods grow on trees. Use the first-person view to look up at tall palm trees. If you see energy-replenishing pods among the leaves, you'll be able to knock them to the ground by hitting the trunks with your staff. And uh, we'll just we'll just give one more. Um, watch closely. Story sequences sometimes reveal secrets. You'll see fuel cells in the background of the Ice Mountain sequence, where sharp, sharp claws take off on jet bikes to follow Prince Tricky. You can pick up those cells if you return to Ice Mountain later. As far as tips go on toilet paper, I'd say they're pretty good. They're not they're they're not completely useless. And uh If if I remember right, I tried to like look at a list of all the, the tips, and I think uh, the fortunately the role does repeat, so uh, you don't have to like um unfurl an entire roll of toilet paper just to read this game guide. Yeah, so I mean I have to be honest, though, back during the height of the pandemic, when, when COVID first hit worldwide, and there was the bizarre shortage of toilet paper, which I think is mostly attributed to just people panic buying, I was I was scared for my role because I thought people might break into my house looking for toilet paper and they would find that role and take it from me and, and, and use it on their buttocks. Now I'm just worried how eerily repression uh, the rest of the contents are going to be. Is there going to be like a zombie outbreak and the only way we can fend them off is Star Fox Adventures door hangers? 
It's the only thing that repels them, yeah. Uh, I don't know. All I know is I'm glad to have the survival kit because I... If worse came to worse, I would have that toilet paper roll and, and who knows what else. That that last swig of Jones soda might save my life one day. Alright, I'm trying to trying to put it all back. Alright, there we go. Alright, so yeah, I, I, I went to Circuit City, got my Star Fox Adventures survival kit. And you know, getting the game the very week the buyout was announced was surreal. I've already talked about the general sense of despair that was happening, not just with the fact that the buyout was happening, but with the discourse around Rare and Star Fox Adventures itself, where I couldn't even reserve the game without getting shit-talked. So, I, I, I was feeling weird getting this brand new Rare game, this brand new DKU game, for the GameCube, knowing that it would be the last Rare game on the GameCube. Maybe the last Rare game ever for a Nintendo system, which thankfully was not the case. But, you know, I, I can't remember because back in those days, I think there were relaxer release dates at the time because the game officially came out Monday, uh, September 23rd. The buyout was announced Tuesday, September 24th. So I don't know if stores actually had it on Monday. This is before Nintendo switched to Friday releases. And, um, and so it, it was mostly just if a game got, if a store got a game early um, or, or if whenever it rolled in, it would be available to sell. There's no strict on sale date so much. And it wasn't like being policed as much because... Well, there wasn't like a Twitter or Reddit for somebody to run to and say, I got the game a week early. Here's the entire first six hours. And I I don't think game piracy, while it definitely existed, I don't think it was as much a concern. But yeah, so it might have been that Monday I got it. It might have been the Wednesday after the buyout. I I, I honestly don't remember. All I remember is I did skip class because it was was my freshman year of college and I suddenly understood that wait a second if i don't show up for class it's not a big deal like like i'm not gonna get written up or anything i'm in college hey i'll just go get star fox adventures uh that that was a liberating <laughs> moment and and i took advantage of that way too much to the point of of, of near uh ruin but um yeah that 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 first autumn where i i suddenly f- had more freedoms as an adult and, uh, yeah, I, I was like, yeah, I'm not going in today. Whatever. I know what I'm supposed to do. So I, I went to get Star Fox Adventures and got my survival kit with it, which is cool. And I remember just driving around a bit, going, like driving through town and out into the countryside with it in my passenger seat. Like my, my, uh, like, uh, I was going to say Whittle Baby, but you don't want to put Whittle Babies in the passenger seat. So we'll, we'll say it's, it's like my, uh. My adolescent child, uh, that was, it was perfectly safe and legal to put in the passenger seat. And I just had that melancholy. I was like, is this it? Is this, is this the end? Is, is this where the story of my fandom and the Donkey Kong universe truly ends? And if that's the case, will I have to savor this? Will, will I have to make this last because I don't know what's to come? So what was to come, Cameron? Well, 
on part two of our Spotlight series, we will be discussing the world of Dinosaur Planet, and we will discuss the actual game and what it was like to spend time with Crystal, briefly, Fox McCloud, and Prince Tricky, who, as you all now know, is obviously the very same Tricky as the one from Diddy Kong Racing. has been a File 2 production. Hey, Rico.